Our sermon text this morning is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. This morning we will be looking at verses 1 to 12 of chapter 2. Again, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. This is God's word. Listen to it. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we consider this portion of your word, we pray that you would teach us what it means that you have called people from outside of Israel into your glorious presence. Teach us, O Lord, through the lives and the actions of these wise men, these magi, what it means that you have called us. You've called us to faith and to repentance in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you have possibly experienced this, uh, but you don't have to have experienced it to know that it is never easy to find out that your job is being given to someone else. It's never easy to find out that you have been made redundant, that you have become unnecessary for the company for which you work. But it is a lot harder to find out this when you're a regional ruler. And when the true king of Israel comes and is born in the flesh, when you find this out, you have a much more difficult time. And this was the situation in which Herod found himself. He saw this after the birth of Jesus. But he only found out through these wise men, these magi who came to Jerusalem. And by the time the Magi had come, according to verse 16, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, Jesus was probably close to two years old. And apparently Herod had received no knowledge of his birth in this time. 
up until the point when the Magi came. So when they came, when the Magi showed up his, at his palace and they wanted to know where the king of the Jews was, Herod knew he had a problem on his hands. Well, Herod is not so different from any king who realizes that there is another heir, an heir apparent to the throne, and who thinks that that throne is going to be taken over. You will remember as you have read through the Old Testament that King Saul had a very similar reaction. You remember after the presence of the Lord left him, after David was anointed as king, King Saul invited him into his his courtroom to play music for him, and then he turned on on him and he pursued him for years. And he tried to kill him. Well, it is no surprise that Herod was troubled by the news that the Magi bring. Herod had spent a lifetime in political intrigue. If you read about his life, if you read about the history of his family, it reads like a Shakespearean tragedy. The plots are intricate. The details are confusing. But one thing you will learn about Herod is he knew how to work a political situation. He knew how to work it to his own advantage. Herod had executed members of his own family to make sure that his throne was secure. And he was not afraid to do it again if the time called for it. So rumors that the Messiah had come, even if they were found to be untrue, could do do damage to this kingdom that Herod had built for himself. He was going to take them very seriously. He was going to do what was necessary. And he would prove that later on when he slaughtered countless children simply because one of them might be the long-awaited Messiah. Well, I would ask you then as we go through this passage this morning to think on this. The kingship of Jesus threatened Herod, but it threatens us as well. It threatens your and my sovereignty over our own lives. But the response of faith is to fall down before Christ and worship him. Again, the kingship of Jesus threatened Herod, and it threatens us. It threatens our perceived, our assumed dominion over our lives. But the response of faith is to fall down before King Jesus and worship him. Well, in a, in a way uh, that we might understand this passage better, I've divided it up into three different sections. The first section is in search of the king, verses 1 to 2. The second section is the disbelief of God's people, verses 3 to 8. And the third section is Gentiles worship Jesus. Verses 9 to 12. Again, in search of the king, verses 1 to 2. The disbelief of God's people, verses 3 to 8. And Gentiles worship Jesus, verses 9 to 12. Let's look at this first section, in search of the king. Verses 1 to 2 say that after Jesus was born, these wise men, these magi, came to Jerusalem. They had seen his star in the east. They saw it rise. And they had followed it to the capital city of Judea. And when they get there, they ask, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? You see, they had come to worship him. They knew something of great significance uh, has happened. Now, there's not a lot that is known about these magi. We don't know exactly the specific number. We sing oftentimes around Christmas time that there were three kings uh, from Orient. 
But we don't know that for sure. It's likely based on the number of gifts. There might have been a large number of them. Because the group that came into Jerusalem was large enough to attract the attention of all the city. Well, these magi were most likely from Persia, where they served the king of Persia as astrologers. And in the book of Daniel, you read about these magi, along with the sorcerers and the enchanters and the Chaldeans, that they're members of the king's court, and they're collectively referred to in Daniel as wise men. And so it's fine, it's, it's appropriate to refer to them as wise men. Well, these magi saw something in the stars that drew them to Jerusalem. And there have been a number of theories put out there about what it was that they saw. But some have said that it was a supernova, a very bright star. Some have said that it was a comet that drew them. Others have said that it was the convergence of Jupiter and Saturn and it produced a bright shining light in the heavens. And this drew them. We don't know what it was that brought them to Jerusalem specifically. But one thing to keep in mind, one thing to remember is that there was another time that the Lord used a bright and shining light in the sky to draw his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so it's possible that the Lord has done this again with these magi. God used some type of star. He used some kind of phenomena to reveal to the wise men that they needed to journey to Jerusalem and worship the king of the Jews. That's what we know. Now, Matthew does not condone astrology here, and we should not either. But we should take note of the fact that God drew these wise men, he drew these pagans to Judea to worship the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus was barely two years old. And the mission to the Gentiles, which the Apostle Paul would carry out more fully, has already begun, hasn't it? He's already drawing people from faraway lands to himself. And the Magi's entrance into Jerusalem with their announcement of whom they were seeking must have taken the city by surprise. People had no idea that this great thing had happened. They were living in the nerve center of Judaism. They were living in the, in the Mecca of Judaism. They should have known. The priests, the scribes, should have been the first to know that the Messiah had been born. But no one could have imagined that the birth of the Messiah could have taken place six miles down the road in Bethlehem. And no one in authority, religious or political authority, had any idea. Well, let's look at verses 3 to 8, the disbelief of God's people. The Magi logically had chosen to go to Jerusalem. They went to the capital of Judea, the religious center for the Jews. And they rightly expected to find the king of the Jews there, didn't they? While the Magi were searching for the king, those who were in positions of authority, religious and civil authority, were ignorant that he had come. Because you see, God had chosen to reveal the coming of the Messiah to a small group of people at this point. So when they showed up asking about the newborn king, they unsettled the people of Jerusalem. You see that in verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, as was said earlier, Herod had a reason to be troubled by the arrival of these magi. Because, you see, even if they were wrong, even if they had misinterpreted what they had seen, 
and the promised Messiah had not come, the Magi's arrival would remind the people that Herod was an illegitimate person sitting on the throne of Israel. Herod was not Jewish. He was Edomian. He had converted to Judaism. He wasn't a true king. He wasn't a descendant of David. He had no business being there except that he was put there by the Roman authorities. It was his father's and his own political maneuvering within the Roman Empire that made it possible for him to sit in authority over Judea. And he knows that he needs to take this threat seriously, even if it turns out to be nothing. So as verse 4 says, he assembles all of the chief priests and all of the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Here's the king of Judea, the man who built the great temple in Jerusalem, and he does not know where the Messiah is to be born. Well, what do the chief priests and the scribes tell him? They quote to him a passage from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, which says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. They quote scripture. God has used some form of general revelation to draw the Magi to Jerusalem, but they need scripture, they need special revelation. They need God's word to tell them specifically where the Christ child lay. Well, verse 7 shows the shrewdness of Herod. What does he do? He He secretly brings the Magi into his palace. He meets with them. He finds out from them what time the star had appeared. And as we'll see in verse 16, Herod used this information that they provided him with to determine the age range of the children. And then he ordered all the male children in the Bethlehem and the surrounding region to be murdered. All to prevent this potential king from coming to the throne. But Herod's initial plan was much more subtle. In verse 8, he sent the Magi to Bethlehem. And he said to them, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may go to and worship him. The easiest way, the most efficient way to deal with this threat is a surgical strike. Herod is going to send in his elite forces. He's going to take this baby out as soon as the Magi report back to him where they can find the child. He does not care if this child is the Messiah or not. Like King Saul, he wants this threat to his throne eliminated. Now there are striking similarities between Saul's pursuit of David and Herod's pursuit of Jesus. You see, both Saul and Herod, they sense threats to their kingdom. And both David and Jesus were the Lord's anointed. Anointed is what the Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christos mean. Saul and Herod tried vigorously to destroy the threats to their power. But God, in both cases, protected his anointed so that no harm came to them that wasn't ordained. Now, Herod is an extreme case. Herod is an extreme example. But it is common for people to want to exclude Jesus. It's common for people to want to keep him at arm's length. They don't want Jesus getting too near You can see this with your friends who don't know the Lord. You bring this up to them, and what do they do? Immediately, the walls come up. They've heard it all before. They're fine. They don't need the Lord Jesus. 
And this is because Jesus is a threat to everyone who is trying to build his own kingdom. He's a threat to all of us who would seek to establish our own, thor- our own sovereignty and authority in our own little worlds. Well, this is why some nations have tried to keep the Christian faith out. They've tried to block it out because they see the threat that it poses. They see the freeing power of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he brings to them. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They know that it is a threat to their totalitarian governments. But this happens on an individual level. It happens in each of our lives. I want my kingdom. I want my authority established. But if Jesus is in my heart, then I have to bend my knee to him. I have to bow before him and worship. I have to acknowledge that he is king over my life. We are all little Herods. We are all little Herods who are trying to establish our own little kingdoms. But we need to remember one thing. When we seek to resist Jesus, we need to remember that he came to set us free. He came by God's grace to free us. We think we're in control, but the truth is, unless Jesus is king of our hearts, we are enslaved to sin. And we know no freedom. We have no authority or sovereignty over our lives. Well, let's look now at verses 9 to 12. The Gentiles worship Jesus. Verse 9 says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, if you're anything like me, you read this verse and you're, you're thinking about the mechanics. How does this work? How did the star move and direct them from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem? How did all this take place? But this verse should compel us to ask a different question. And that question is this. Why was it only the the Magi who went to find the Messiah? Why did the religious leaders of the time, why did the chief priests and the scribes not go along with him? There's no mention of them traveling six miles down the road to Bethlehem to determine whether this was the king of kings or not. Why is this? These were the leaders of Judaism. These were the ones who supplied Herod with the answer of where the Messiah was to be born. But you see, these religious leaders were were very loyal to the agendas of Herod. These religious leaders had been appointed to their positions by Herod. They had a vested interest in keeping him in power. The priests, the scribes, the ones who knew the scriptures better than anyone else did not want a new king coming in and upsetting the balance of power. They had no interest in going to Jesus. And this should serve a warning to all of us. To all of us who bear the name of Christ. We're all in danger of treating the things of the Lord as common things. Especially those of us who sit in authority. It is a true danger that we must diligently avoid. Well, in contrast to the religious leaders, in contrast to these priests, the Magi do go. And verse 10 says that when they saw the star resting over the place where the child was, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The Magi, pagans, 
they understood what it meant at this first Christmas. And they were filled with joy. Their hearts were filled with joy. And by this time, you see, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they'd moved from a manger to a house. Verse 11 says the Magi entered the house. And what did they do upon entering this house? They fell down and they worshipped the baby Jesus. This is the only appropriate response when people encounter King Jesus. And yet, as we make our way through Matthew, we will not read of this happening very often. By and large, Jesus is rejected. He's rejected by his people. Now, sometimes the Christian life feels like a drudgery, doesn't it? If you're like me over this past week leading up to celebrating the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day, it was very easy to get caught up in all of these mundane preparations for Christmas, to forget about the reason that we're celebrating, to forget that we're even supposed to celebrate. Sometimes we don't have joy. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by factors in our lives, and they rob us of our joy. And that is true. But if that is the case for you, if you are suffering right now from a lack of joy, if you don't find it uh, easy to worship the Lord Jesus, to bow down before him, to fall on your face in front of him, pray that the Lord would give you a worshiping heart. Pray that he would restore the joy of your salvation to you. Pray that he would give it back to you. This is what you have been called to do as believers in Christ. Well, not only do the Magi worship King Jesus, they offer him gifts, gold, incense, myrrh. These are gifts that are appropriate for a king. Gold is the the king of metals. You see, the Magi did not care. They might have expected to find Jesus in a palace in Jerusalem, but they didn't care that he was in some home in this little town on the outskirts. It did not matter to them that he had been born in a cattle stall, that he was living in obscurity, in poverty. These details did not prevent the Magi from worshiping Jesus. But even though Scripture prophesied that the Messiah, Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, aside from these lowly shepherds and Jesus' own people, Aside from the Magi, very few people paid attention to his birth. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 say, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. The chief priests and the scribes, they were the first people in Israel, besides the shepherds, And the people they told to know about the birth of the Messiah. They should have gone with the Magi to Bethlehem. They should have returned to Jerusalem and proclaimed Jesus as the true King of Israel. And instead, they failed to investigate what the Magi had said. And as a result, they failed to lead their people. They failed the people of Israel and they failed God. Jesus, who should have been widely received among his people and worshipped by them, was instead worshipped by a group of astrologers from a foreign land. 
But even they weren't safe. Verse 12 says that the Magi were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they went back to their own country, staying away from Jerusalem. They weren't safe and neither was Jesus. The time had fully come for the Son of God to be born on the earth, but it had not come for him to die. And so God thwarted the plans of Herod. He gave a revelation to the Magi so that they would avoid Herod. God was protecting his son, and he was protecting the Magi. Well, this passage, if you look at it, if you step back and you just look at the passage as a whole, you'll see that it shows the two types of responses that people have to Jesus. People will either either receive him as their king, or they will utterly reject him. They will actively push him away. And these are the only two responses. There is no indifference when it comes to Jesus. There is no buddy Jesus over here. Yeah, we're all good with each other. You either worship him, you either fall on your face and acknowledge that he is your king, or you are pushing him away. Jesus is either the stone that makes men stumble, or he is the rock that makes them fall. And they will be crushed by him. Jesus is either our king and our savior, or he is our enemy. This is the great divide between faith and unbelief. And our response to Jesus is based upon who he is to us. Who is Jesus to you? If he is your king, you will bow down and worship him. You've come this morning to worship your king. But if he is your enemy, if you do not know him and you refuse to submit to him, then in unrighteousness, you will actively suppress the truth. The truth of who he is. This is what Paul says in Romans 1. So on which side of the divide are you? Being in church this morning is a good sign. But just because you are here this morning does not mean that you are not enemies of Jesus. You may be here because your parents made you come. You may be here because you've always come to church and that's just what you do. If this is the case, repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust in Him as your King and your Lord. Because that's who He is. Or you might be here this morning because you have been drawn by God to the King of the Jews. You have come in faith and you have bowed down to worship Jesus. If you are here for that reason, then praise God. You have been saved. Now keep bowing down and worshiping Him. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. If you have lost your joy, seek it. Seek the Lord Jesus while He may be found. He is here with us. Don't grow weary in your faith. The journey that you are on in your life is much greater, much longer than the distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But it is worth it. Your goal is the same as the Magi. You want to see your king face to face. And you will. You will. You will be welcomed into his glorious presence. God's word promises this. It promises that you will see him in all of his splendor and all of his glory and all of his righteousness and holiness. You will see him in his heavenly palace when he welcomes you in as his brothers and his sisters.